1: all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm Connor Boyle. For today's
3: podcast, we're teaming up with Slack. I'm putting in a few extra hours to bring you a special
1: discussion around what is the ideal length of the working week. If you enjoyed the episode and want to find out more about Slack, visit www.slack.com digitalhq digital for a host of valuable resources on how they're supporting their clients or just head to the link in the podcast description and with your permission we'll share your email with slack and also provide you with free access to intelligence squared plus for six months so that you can continue taking part in this debate and many others head to the link in the episode summary to find out more now let's go to our host for today the journalist and broadcaster Anne McElvoy
4: Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne McElvoy. I'm executive editor at The Economist. And welcome to this Intelligence Squared event in partnership with Slack. Tonight's question, is it time to abandon the five-day working week? Well, it's a lovely Monday out there and that feels like a very good time to think about it to me. But this question more broadly has gained relevance, of course, since the disruption of COVID-19, which forced governments and businesses to revisit that old Monday to Friday model. Proponents now argue that the pandemic, in that sense, did us a favour. This was a trend that was already coming on because of digital working and desire for more homeworking and work-life balance. It also allows a lot more flexibility, and you could argue that it broadens out the workforce, and particularly those with children might be remarkably grateful not to have to get out for the eight till six, nine till five, or beyond grind. So there are some of the benefits. Productivity rises for employers, employees are happy with lots more autonomy, and you can go to work in your yoga pants, or maybe that's just me. There is a sceptical case as well and that is that tampering with this well-worn pattern of work, a cadence that most of us understand intuitively and are trained into from the start of our careers is perhaps more of a disruption than we have bargained for and it might blur that line between work and the rest of life and create yet more stress. So let's try and delve into this and understand it a bit The speaker who is going to lead us off tonight is Bruce Daisley. He's a former VP of Twitter for Europe, Middle East and Africa and host of the podcast Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, in which he interviews psychologists, neuroscientists and workplace experts to understand how we can improve our jobs. He's also the author of two books, The Joy of Work and a forthcoming title, Fortitude, Unlocking the Secrets of Inner Strength. So there, Bruce, with all the fortitude you can muster, it's over to you to get us going.
1: Yeah, I think to some extent the debate about whether we work becomes four days or changes, to some extent misses some of the, the broader picture. And I think what we're witnessing is an a unbundling of the way that work has been constructed till now, a, a renegotiation of some of the, the perhaps unnegotiables that we were confronted with before. And actually, relatively, the question of how firms are embracing this is a, a determining the the experience for employees right now. So I think when we look into the evidence, there's, there's a lot of suggestions that employers are in various stages of denial and various, various stages of grief about how they try to reconcile the changes that we've just witnessed from the way they're going to pass those changes on to employees. And the, the fascinating thing for me is that it's uh, a good illustration that some of the firms that probably have tried to position themselves as market leading have taken some big missteps. So I I went to work at big tech companies because they gave the impression that they had a better workplace culture there than anywhere else. It was only when I got there that I realized that I'd just been hoodwinked by wonderful marketing. I'd been misled that somehow they were they were wired in a different way. And I think that's some of the challenge that we've got right now. The the companies that have had the most public missteps, Google, Apple, Apple employees, have used Slack to self-organize. They previously didn't. Have a way to a way to contact each other internally. Now they've used Slack to self-organise to say that we think that the fact that we're being asked to come into the office three days a week seems regressive and is maybe against the fact that we've earned more autonomy than than perhaps we're being offered right now. So I think you know there's various stages of denial. It's interesting the mindset of founders seems to be determining to some extent the flexibility that workers are getting. But to my mind, the debate about four days a week could end up being a slightly too mechanical change for we've just fundamentally renegotiated some aspects like timeliness, like place, that maybe we considered uh, non-negotiable before. So I think it's an illustration of the great unbundling that we're witnessing. A lot of things are up for grabs. The really interesting thing is, if you look into the extremes, to finish my bit, but Professor Raj Chowdhury from uh, from Harvard Business School strongly is of the belief that the norm for all elite businesses going forward will be work from anywhere. And the reason why he's convinced that work from anywhere will become the defining norm is because top talent is asking for it. And in the same way that we've, we've seen workplace culture evolve in the last 10, 15 years, because top talent has maybe gone to technology companies that have positioned themselves in a different way, increasingly, top talent wants to have the flexibility. So Raj Chowdhury is convinced that you either buy into this or you become a dinosaur firm that uh, that effectively can't attract the best workers. So, for me, it's, it's a fundamental renegotiation. The, the, in the short term, I think the four-day-week debate is interesting, but I think it, it's only a hint of what the debate that's really opened up.
4: Thank you very much, Bruce. I think that's that's fascinating insight into the work from anywhere. I remember that first request that came in on a a team I was involved with and we looked at it as if it was like, what, you want to work from somewhere else? And now that, as you say, would be very much a norm in a part of a a negotiation and may, as you say, go uh, further and faster than we've taken on board. Elizabeth Uwe Benini, you're going to uh, take us on now. Elizabeth is author, brand strategist, columnist also for Financial Times and co-author of the award-winning book, Slay in Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible and more recently, The Reset ideas to change how we work and live. It's like you guessed we were going to have this event. <laughs> Over to you. I pretty much agree with Bruce. I think
0: that the conversation around this five-day week versus four-day week is much more nuanced than, um, than it's currently being played out. I think if we look at the old system of, you know, five days a week, it was, you know, laden with presenteeism, burnout, inflexibility. And I think now rebooting the same machine and then pushing it into a four day week isn't going to work for, like you said, a lot of top talent, but just currently just the way things are right now. So I am a big believer that top talent will go to where People are going to be more flexible and, and um, allow them to allow them to have, I guess, autonomy over their work. I think that was one of the things that really came out of COVID and people working from home. You can work from home or work in the office. If you have a manager or management style that is essentially, you know, quite oppressive, it is going to lead to some of the things that we see around anxiety and very much um, and burnout. So I think that we have to stop being so sort of black and white with some of the discussions that we're having around work and have much more nuanced conversations. If not, we're just going to reboot the same machine and head for another crash, essentially.
4: Do you think it's, there's a generational component here as well? Because I framed it, and this probably reflected my own generational experiences. Like, oh, my life would have been very different in a high-pressure job with three children had we been having this conversation a few years ago. But I think you're also reflecting the view of, of those who talk about top talent, but emerging talent in mm. companies. Do you think they think differently?
0: Absolutely, I think that we, I think we all want the same things, but I think maybe emerging talent are a bit more vocal, and I think they're very much aware that they have a life outside of work, and they want to, they want to have a more community-led approach to how they work. So side hustles and and, and things like that. I don't think that they see work in the same way. However, I do think that if you have three kids and you 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 still have the same sort of like challenges and you do want a more community led and more trust approach to how you work. So I think across the board, well- pretty much asking for the same thing. However, I think possibly emerging talent and the younger generations are just more vocal and essentially not not having it, basically. <laughs> They're
4: just not having it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that decision says that like it's been made. Carl Nicholson, uh, Carl leads Slack's executive engagement for MEA. He's an engineer turned technologist with a big interest in using technology to enable people to do their best work. And before Slack, Carl was co-founder and CIO at Synaptic, a digital innovation company with the goal of connecting people process and technology to get work done now carl that sounds all sounds like quite hard work but i think you also have a view that it can be a lot more pleasant and a lot uh, less stressful if we get some parameters right and are prepared to change some things
3: It is. So to answer the question and to get it off my chest the first time I speak, I don't think the question really is should we abandon the sort of the five-day working week, that sort of construct we've all grown up with, or I certainly have. To me, this is all about flexibility. And what flexibility really means isn't just whether you sit at home in your yoga pants and attend meetings all day. It really is about having the choice of when you do things. As you That brilliant intro you just gave me, thank you very much. Myself as an engineer, the sort of nine-to-five pattern, although every contract I've ever had with every employer I've ever had has said that I do a 40-hour week, the truth is I very rarely did. And that's not because I'm a diligent, hardworking individual. Uh, it's simply because in technology, which is where I've been my entire career, things break after 5 o'clock and on weekends and all the rest of it. And so I realised very quickly that to be successful in tech, I needed to be extremely flexible in my approach to work, and no way was I ever going to turn around to somebody and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fix that right now because it's past five o'clock, because that was the quickest way to get fired. But back to the question, flexibility and what do we really mean by it? I think you need to uh, enable tooling, processes, even down to the HR and the way that you write your contracts to allow ultimate flexibility for, for your people. And as the great points have already been made here, it's about talent, and also it's about diversity. It's about diversity because we know in the tech industry that to create really great products and services, we need the most diverse bunch of people we can possibly find that represents you know, the public. And I think that's one of the biggest changes I've observed in my career. You know, my first job was a bunch of white guys, uh, and it was purely men. There was not a single lady in, in the firm. This was a software engineering company, and we all look very much like each other, and we all grew up in very similar circumstances. You fast forward to somewhere like Slack, and it is a hugely, hugely diverse workforce. And so I think you're flexibility, your working practices, the way you go about stuff ultimately has to fit that workforce and way of working. Because if you get this wrong, to Bruce's point, people will just go out elsewhere. And I don't think it is necessarily age-related. And one final point, Uh, the Future Forum, which is partly funded by Slack, tells us in a global survey that they run every quarter of knowledge workers, 95% of people right now across the whole age spectrum want flexibility in their work. So for me, it's about flexibility, not working days. It's about when work gets done.
4: Great. We might dive into what the consequences of that are in just a moment, but let's hear from Nick sitting next to you. Nick Snerchek is writer and academic specialising in the future of work and currently a lecturer in the digital economy in the Department of Digital Humanities, King's College London. That's probably a department that didn't exist if we'd been talking 20 years ago. Uh, He's an advocate for the two-day Work Week, uh, hurrahs all round. And author of books including Platform Capitalism and a forthcoming book, After Work, The Fight for Free Time, which will be published, i got to say, sometime in 2023.
2: When I get the work time to finish it, yeah. You get it
4: done. Um, no, so, so yes, I think people could be fascinated by your two-day week.
2: The two-day work week, I mean, this is Keynes' basic idea as well, the 15-hour work week. Uh, so fit into two days quite easily. So it's not actually that radical of a proposition. If you look back to the 1930s when Keynes is sort of talking about, you know, in the midst of the Great Depression, what the future holds. And people often think, well, this is a crazy proposition. But he was actually just vo- uh, vocalizing the common sense of the time. It's interesting that we've sort of forgotten that period now. I mean, my work is all about why we need less work, despite the fact that I spend a lot of work trying to uh, make that argument. But I want to begin here in my opening spiel, sort of three points of agreement. First is that I think work, particularly globally, not just talking about, say, top talent, but globally, is largely harmful to workers, devoid of dignity, monotonous, crushing, and without fair pay. Wages in the UK, for instance, we've seen uh, more than a decade of pay stagnation. The Bank of England now suggests that that's going to continue for probably another five years at least. We have more and more surveillance and monitoring of workers, less and less control over their own time. And that's in a developed economy like the UK. Uh, It looks even worse when you start to go globally. When we look at the future of work, it's largely healthcare. It's home health care, in particular, is the fastest-growing job by a long shot. So the tech world is very nice, and I think there's a lot of interesting aspects of it, but it is a niche industry globally. The pandemic has only made things worse as well, as we know. Remote working is great in many ways, but what research shows is that people are now doing an extra shift at the end of the night. So we have to talk about the flexibility invoking more work. So my first point of agreement with, I think, everybody, is that work has problems today. My second point of agreement is that nobody wants to add another workday. Nobody is advocating for a six-day workweek. nobody's advocating for the end of retirement or anything like that. And this suggests to me that we recognize the importance of free time. So we all agree that free time is significant. And this is my third point of agreement is we value freedom. And I think maybe where I might differ is that I think freedom fundamentally is opposed to work. I think free time is the basis of freedom. Most people, when you're in your job, you're subject to the whims of your boss. You may have some flexibility over when to work, but you don't have any, any say over what you're doing, the expectations, how you're working, how you're working with other people. So many people have no say over their work, and they're dominated, they lack freedom, by their boss. So I think most work is fundamentally unfree for most people, and that if we actually want a society of freedom, we have to reduce work.
4: Right. That's quite a challenge. I'm going to throw that. Thank you very much indeed. And I was very pleased we we ended on that because I think we had a broadly positive view from different angles from the first three speakers about more flexible work. But uh, Nick's view was really the only way if you wanted to have... Uh, happier, more fulfilled people was to have them work less. Who would like to respond to that? I
1: I think there's a lot of truth in it. I I think the amount of headspace that our jobs are taking has grown and grown and grown, to the extent that we often don't necessarily perceive it. One of the really interesting things to deconstruct those weird two years we just had, but you'll remember sort of in in the first month where everyone was really trying to assemble what their life looked like between queuing for a four-pack outside Tesco's and uh, and trying to sort of work out who was going to cook the evening meal. We were trying to reassemble, but I think people recognised at that moment that they... They, they were op- occupying a different place in their in their relationships is a really interesting thing to observe. There was some work amongst American teenagers, and uh, that first month of the pandemic the when when teenagers exhibited closer connections to their families, their depression went down they They seemed to be in a happier state because they i think identified the the domestic part of their life was enriching for them and I think so we 've seen those things change. The reason why so many Workers now are citing flexibility as a reason why they want to change jobs is because we've actually been woken up to the fact that we were in something of a cult before where we were getting up, we were leaving the house at six o'clock or seven o'clock. We were coming home at seven or eight o'clock and we were considering it as a non-negotiable as something that was just part of... Having a successful job, and so the the fact that those things, our domestic situation has been uh, realigned, it it does seem to be informing a renegotiation of how work sits in our lives. So I'd agree, freedom, that that ability to consider that we do have part of our identity that isn't our jobs, is uh, is quite liberating for us.
4: Elizabeth,
0: yeah, I think it depends on how you see work as well, because if you see if you seek purpose in work and your work is part of your identity, then maybe two-day two day work week just doesn't work for you. I don't know if it would work for me, <laughs> Some I struggle to work out what I'll do my other time. But I, I like the sound of that, but I think it depends on how you see work and how and that relationship you have with your career and, and purpose. I have <clears throat> friends who, you know, see work as a means to an end, and I have friends who are very much, you know, immersed in their work being part of their identity and depending on where you where it doesn't really matter where you sit on that I think the main thing is you shouldn't be driven to things such as you know having a a boss that drives you to you know anxiety and and, uh, an oppression an oppressive um, management style so whatever you sit on that scale I think you need to still feel like you've been treated as a human and with dignity so I totally agree with with what he was saying sure
4: but let's get down to what we want in the trade-offs here I mean if you're looking at Productivity. I think the jury's still really out among any sort of longitudinal research about what productivity is going to look like in this world. And if we either work less, which was uh, Nick's idea, or even if we have much more flexible working passions. So we may know all the ills of the established working week, but we probably don't know what we might have to give up in terms of expectations. So, Carl, I'm I'm going to throw this one at you. Is this really a kind of charter for people who are actually advocating really for lower growth? and less competition, in which case, they better come out and say so. And uh, Nick, I'll come back to you on that in a minute, but let's get Carl's thought.
3: No, I don't think so, to, to answer your question. I think, to, to your point, and through my own experience, I completely agree with you, I know that there were times in pre-COVID where I needed to hit the stop button to give myself brain space uh, or rest as freedom to actually think about the, the problems I was currently grappling with work. I needed the ability to kind of take a step back and, and think about stuff. And I think it goes to the question of productivity. I think we need to reassess as companies what is productivity. Is it the old measure of sat in an office, how many hours a day, or is it output-based? Because if I can achieve the same thing by working less hours from home, perhaps working in a uh, asynchronous way, which, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, is is whereby you can you can pass work, pass the baton around to people, and we do this a lot at Slack, we literally pass work around the world on a daily basis. It, it's just... A better way of working because it increases the flexibility which means people have more freedom to do the things that they love they spend time with their children etc etc which ultimately means to me they get more brain space to think about what it is they're trying to achieve but to your point elizabeth it's about it's about your it's about your job and your approach to work for me i am everything my job and, and me are one and the same which some people here will probably tell me is wrong but i've always worked places where I truly believe in what I'm doing and I'm immersed in it. Um, that's just me as an individual. I appreciate if job, a job is just a means to end. you, you probably wouldn't feel that way. So it's all about you as a company, the types of people you employ, the culture that you have, the way you go about doing your work, because it's, it, all, it all goes into the mounting part of what's important to you. So if you want to drag everyone back to the office nine to five every day and that works for your company, who are we to tell you not to do that? Basically, it is very subjective.
4: Nick, what about the the challenge on productivity as in what comes out and usually, you know, if we're going to just measure it in terms of success, company formation, company growth, we are in a a time where a lot of global economic problems are being made worse by low growth or at least the anxiety that growth won't return or isn't returning fast enough after the pandemic in a sustained way. Uh, To what extent can you square what you want with that aspiration?
2: Yeah, I mean there's two aspects. One is the productivity question, which since the nineteen seventies, global productivity growth has been in decline. So we have major issues there. I think there are fundamental issues around measuring productivity in service-based economies. It's very difficult to measure the productivity of a service worker, of an office worker, anything like that. And then starting to look at, you know, digital companies is even harder. So there's there's issues around how we measure productivity, there's issues around a long-standing decline in global productivity, anyways. I think the 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 promise, or one of the promises of a shorter working week is actually that it increases productivity. I know from my time doing office jobs that I spent a huge amount of time just slacking off, because I didn't have time to do. I didn't have anything to do. Now compress that you know, five-day working week where I had to be there in the office showing my face, along with the sort of expectation that you'd stay a bit beyond when you're supposed to go. Compress that into a four-day work week, and I think you end up with a more productive workforce doing the same thing. So I think it can actually increase productivity. That's to the benefit of the global economy. On the issue of growth, I think there are really big issues with climate change. I think lower growth is not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on what type of growth we're talking about. I think the evidence when we look at a shorter working week is that countries that have a shorter average working week use less carbon as well. They have less, fewer carbon emissions. So they have a lower impact on the environment. And the estimate that I saw for the U.S., for instance, if the U.S. average working week moved to the European average working week, they would save about 20% of their carbon emissions. So lower growth is not necessarily a bad thing if it saves the environment. We have to manage that transition to a lower growth, but I think these big questions about climate change have to be part of the, the narrative as well.
4: I wondered if anyone wanted to challenge that because I do think the low growth argument is a is a bit of a soft underbelly of, of what we've been talking about. It we may well be. True, and it really is true. If you uh, emit less carbon, you will you will know, help uh, uh, help the battle against global warming or, or global overheating. But you will also you know have more difficulty funding your public services, and uh, you will also see, as we're seeing at the moment, you know, we have huge challenges in terms of how we see where the funding is going to come from to take our societies forward. So I suppose just a last thought: you don't have to speak on it, but anyone would like to. Is is there a trade off here, and should we be clearer about it that Some people seem to say you can be just as productive Carl, I think you were heading there. But there, there, there just seem to be some difference here between whether you want to be more productive or worse.
1: I spent a while, a couple of years ago, before we went into the pandemic, chatting to different organisations who had more flexibility. So companies that had no, no offices or were completely remote. And the, the one thing that struck me that I chatted to a couple of them, Basecamp is very famous for being this sort of office-less, flexible organisation. But if you look at the underlying performance of Basecamp, it doesn't perform incredibly well. It's a company of 70 people. It gets a lot of attention but it's really a, 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 a lifestyle business. Buffer's another one that, you know, it's, has this radical transparency that runs th- through it. it. All the salaries are published, it doesn't have offices, and yet it's a very low-growth organisation. So one of the things that, you know, it's a fair challenge, is one of... The question of posing ourselves is, is it the part of work that is unreasonable that achieves outstanding results? And it's a fair challenge, you know, when you look at exceptionally achieving organisations, they frequently have either a unique and monopolistic business model to them, or they have an an approach to people that is unsustainable. So it is an interesting fair challenge.
4: Elizabeth, what about the impact of teamwork and good work culture in, in remote working, asynchronous working? Phrase we're now going to start tripping off all of our tongues that we didn't really think about before. Is there a risk, though, of feeling less connected or even less committed, particularly if you're new into a company or you're more junior, oh, sort of the or the established are all fine. Well, I, you know, I've known Biffy for 20 years. I can have five minutes sidebar with him and little jokes in the chat. But if you're new and you need a sense, or even in rising in a company or an organization, you might feel that's a bit alienating. What do you reckon?
0: No, I agree. I, you can't beat human contact. Um, and it's really important when you're starting out in your career and as you go through your career, And as you progress to build relationships, the world of work is built up of relationships and and networking. So I think that having culture that promotes that is even more important if we do four day week or or work from home or or remote working or anything like that. I think that it just requires different management style and just greater trust. I think one one of my experiences of when I used to work in a corporate workspace, I think there was just a real... I'm a manager because I I wanna progress, not because I know how to manage people well and effectively. So I think it does require a different style and a style that means that you know how to bring people together, you know how to delegate and and give them responsibility and and not feel as if there's a weird like parent-child relationship in the world of work. So yeah, I think that it just, it it means that the way we use our high streets could change in terms of coming together and what we use are the spaces how we use spaces is different, and how offices are made up. So I think that there is there is implications for a different management style, but it's also implications for how we use office spaces as well, and how in terms of culture. Because if you're coming in to just sit at a desk every single day in a silo, what's the point of that? But if you're coming in once a week to meet everybody in your team and build really strong relationships, and you're and you're not just and you're in the office. And you're doing like a team bonding exercise or things like that, then that's going to be of greater use and and be more effective than than what we have now, which is I don't want to sit on Zoom like Zoom or whatever all day with my colleagues. But if I can get on with my work at home and when I'm in the office and I'm so you collaborating. want a more experiential
4: office. It's an interesting analogy, isn't it? We talk about that a lot in retail. That yeah. maybe the environment of a store has to change to being something more experiential because you could also do your shopping online, but when you go into a store that you like, you want. You know, there's something that, that yeah, it just got more. to be more dynamic as well. Sure. Who else would like to come in on uh, any thoughts? Yes, Scott. Um, I think this is a very relevant
3: conversation. We, we at Slack all the time talk about the digital HQ, you may have seen, seen our ads, and it's exactly this conversation. So, I actually joined Slack in December of last year, and frankly, I was quite worried about it. I was joining a company a week after its acquisition. I was joining a global team. I was the first of my role in the world. So I had no prior art to really go after. And I thought, how am I I gonna onboard into this huge behemoth of a company that's now part of Salesforce from my little desk in Worcester? And I've got to say, it was an outstanding experience. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here in Slack sponsoring the event. It was an outstanding experience because to your point, it was was led with empathy. And our management at Slack is top dollar, quite, quite literally. And they are excellent leaders and they're excellent leaders because they understand the importance of transparent decision making everything that we do is on slack shocker i know and so we've taken our office online but that doesn't mean the role of the traditional you know bricks and mortar office is dead it just becomes far more uh, experiential so that when we do get together we're not just sat in the office for 3 days a week because management's told us to sat on zoom calls which to me is a little bit crazy, yeah. uh, and he's kind of that I find old model. That weird, especially when
4: you see the person through the glass yeah, behind um, you on the same call, and you know, sort of desire he, to sort yeah. of wave.
3: I mean, I've had calls recently where I've realised I'm in the same building as somebody, mm. someone, which is just nuts. Oh yeah, I might um, all. Very, very <laughs> unhuman. But it is. But different. if you don't,
4: I mean, can I just stop you on that point? Because that's a good little example of a, a sort of knobbly conundrum. I can understand also why that evolves because you think, well, you can't have a system where if you're in the office you're in some way advantaged Mm -hmm. so you will have to have a zoom and we could all be sitting in five different offices but we will have many colleagues outside so how do you get around that
1: It feels like, feels like yep. um, we've got a road network and no one's written the highway code yet. Very and organisations so. are scared to write the highway code. And so as a consequence, we know very clearly there are certain roads that you can drive at certain speeds. There's certain uh, parameters <laughs> that you can drive at one way and you can't drive <laughs> up another way. But right now, organisations are scared to lay out their highway code. I've been really inspired with the ones who who say almost like how small can our footprint be in prohibiting your your personal autonomy, but we are going to have a footprint. So uh, I heard one organisation that I think about all the time and they said, our, our organisation, our highway code is Wednesday plus one. And the idea behind that then, I guess, is you might say, well, either we're going to try not to have too many meetings on wednesdays and we're just going to catch people in person there's really good evidence that having a meeting free day can be liberating for people or they're going to say and the idea of wednesday plus one is everyone in the organization is there on wednesday and then we want the office to have a little bit of hum to it so on the rest of the week we want a few people to pick and choose maybe the, the finance team is in on monday or whatever it mm-hmm. is but. For me, it's like, okay, they've created the highway code. And so many, you know, I chatted to one organisation who told me that it's similar to what you just talked about with Cole there, that when one person's on video, everyone has to go into video. And the consequence of that, I love the idea of it, the consequence of that is that people come to the office and feel like I could have done this at home. Exactly. And, you know, the net promoter score for that version of hybrid work is going to be really low
4: that's very interesting nick i'll bring you back in please uh, respond to anything you've you've heard but something uh, we, uh, there is maybe a, a more challenging point that we haven't reflected which is of course if we're doing more work from home and i know you want a much sh- shorter but not necessarily more constrained working but you still think that there's a creativity to work it does mean that of course digital surveillance is going to be coming much more into our homes and i speak of course as a podcast host an audio person who you know, knows full well, the risk of leaving your little backup mic running and finding, finding that the file is full of this sort of subsequent argument that you had with your 16-year about what time she's supposed to come back. But that is, you know, just something I think we might also just be getting used to that risk analysis. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, i maybe just speak a little bit about the sort of workplace socialisation, which I think is really important and really good. But, you know, most people, you know, they have social lives outside of work. And they're quite happy to have social lives outside of work. And actually, you know what they're being told to do is to spend forty hours with people they may not like. You know, I'm sure we've all had many colleagues that we just you know despise. We don't want to spend more time with them. But unfortunately, that's part of the job. No, of course not. Not on this show. But you know, of course, this is again. This goes back to the freedom issue. Is that you're spending forty hours of your week. With people that you have not freely chosen to spend time with. It's great if you're friends with them, but I think most people in the world, you know, they have friends at work, but it's not their core social network, it's not their core people that they want to be spending time with. If they had a free choice, they would rather be spending it with family, doing a hobby, doing something else um, besides socializing with a colleague that you just happen to be sitting next to. On the issue of surveillance, yeah, it's it's a crucial issue for the coming years. There is, you know, massive surveillance of the gig economy, which is sort of the the pioneer of a lot of these things. Huge amount of surveillance from companies like Uber and Lyft and Deliveroo. These companies tracking everything that their workers do. And now we're seeing that expanding to remote working. We're seeing it expand to office workers as well. And there is some pushback, but there's very little in the way of legal legal regulations about what can and can't be done. But right now, there's a real sort of arbitrary power by companies to basically surveil their workers in whatever way they want.
4: Before we go to our questions, let's just step back a bit and and you can really, I think, uh, panel, just answer this in your own way. I thought we should look at what would the major... Consequences be for society of a change, or what are they? What the way we're changing the way we work, and what might they be? Elizabeth, I thought I'd start with you and say, look, for years and years, ever since I came into the workplace, but perhaps more seriously in the last ten years or so, equality, discrimination in the workplace have been themes. uh, Employers have basically got the memo on that, and they need at least to be aware of what their company's values are and how they are projecting them. Does the debate that we're having today change that and enrich it? Or do you think it is like the same problems exist? They just exist in a different space time continuum in more remote working? In terms of equality um, and like just. Yeah, I mean, basically, I, I do say to all of you just answer this in your own way because I think it's something people have their own experiences of. Do you think it changes anything bigger than? sort of the future of how we work and productivity to a more kind of, to the social mix, to, to uh, challenges around equality and diversity that companies have been looking at for years? It's a very interesting question.
0: I, yeah, I think it's just, for me, it's the same thing. I yeah. don't think that changing something to a four day week or five day week changes the makeup of our organisation drastically. I think that it's the same sort of like challenges you will get elsewhere um in either either one so i think for me um when we talk about diversity and and having a more inclusive workforce it goes beyond like the kind of binary conversation around like where we work i think it's more more having a more Community approach that has that's um, underpinned by trust and um, a much more empathetic workforce. Bruce, there's
1: a couple what? of interesting things on that. Firstly, some data in Australia where Australia publishes far more of its gen- gender profiling. So, so it publishes at every level of an organisation what the gender profile is, and if you look at the industries that have mandated a five-day return to the office or a four-day return to the office, there's almost a direct line correlation between their lack of diversity. So it strikes... The, the consequence is impossible not to look at it and, and to think actually what you 've seen is power of incumbency that when men have benefited from a five day week in the office they've, they've tried to mandate a return of it and in fact interestingly, again in Australia, one of the firms that was very public about announcing that they were going to a four day week for productivity reasons they uh, announced that they found that twenty percent of their workforce didn't tell their wives that they'd gone to a a four day week <laughs> and they were still going to the office on Friday morning, messing around a bit and then going out all day drinking or playing golf. And so uh, they didn't pass on this the, the sort of premium, this gift of the four-day week. So, like you know, there are gender elements. Also, in part of the Future uh, Forums research, they found that they looked at people who were excited to return to the office. And of young workers, only 20% of work, young workers were excited to return to the office. But it was much lower amongst women and it was much lower amongst black workers principally because there were lived experiences either of daily sexualization for young female workers or from sort of pro- hostility under the radar pro- hostility that they were experiencing so anyone who tells you that flexibility isn't a diversity and inclusion issue is missing some of the big stories i think
4: great great angle um, sorry to call you, like you just want a quick word and then we'll go to questions would you like to just come in for a for yeah a you've
1: stolen
3: my stats i have nothing to say no i did Exactly what you just said, Bruce, I think the only thing I would add to that is me as a a new parent being at home for my young daughter was frankly a surprise and a nice surprise because as a a senior executive within a technology company, I didn't expect to spend much time with my daughter at all. And being there for the first, you know, those important first year of her life is massive. And I think we won't really see the benefit of that for probably another 10, 15 years as studies come out because I certainly didn't see my dad when I was a kid. Uh, and so for me personally, I think that's huge. For dads to be around for, for children, of course, mums as well, it means
4: the world. <laughs> You're now an apple masher at a high level. You've got that <laughs> consistency just right. So in this case, I'm going to start taking them and throwing around the panel and uh, we may be you know, a little bit more quickfire on this one. What are some of the negative consequences that could come from moving off the five-day week. So that's a good bold challenge there. And Nick, we haven't heard from you for a moment, so pick
2: up. Yeah, yeah. I mean so I've given a lot of thought to this, the sort of implementation of a four-day work week. And I think one of the most the most interesting challenges is the sort of scheduling issues. So schooling for instance is five days. Hospitals need to be open for seven days. All these sorts of issues about you know moving to a shorter working week does involve impacts on these other major institutions of society, and we'd have to work out ways to sort of reorient them in in, in in better ways. I think it's entirely possible. Historically, we moved from six days of working, actually, you know, seven days really of working, to having a two-day weekend. We've done this in the past and we can do it again. So it's not impossible, but it is a challenge that needs to be thought about.
4: Yeah, further thoughts on that, Carl?
3: I'm worried about it'll be used as an excuse to pay people less, frankly. I think some companies will do the math and say, right, well, that's one day less. You're not in the office or wherever. Therefore, you're going to earn one day's less pay. I also think the opposite could happen, not in terms of money, but I know I, as a consumer, love services, and I can get support for those services 24-7. And so one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, if we did go to a four-day week, could we sort of stagger our workforce? So that actually the business and the service of the business is open 24-7, but you as an individual are only online or working, et cetera, for those four days. Three and a half day work week. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And actually, what would the impact of that be on the business? Because I know, as a consumer, I like to be able to call my bank at 10 at night on a Saturday. You can't do that with traditional companies.
4: Yes. Elizabeth, here's an interesting question. Elizabeth, Uwe Benigni. What is the situation going to look like for non-sedentary workers? And then we perhaps have fallen a bit uh, in this uh, panel and elsewhere into thinking of people who work at their desks and kind of stuff. that's their working environment. You know, what about cleaners, delivery people, carers, transport workers, etc.? cetera? Do you see the same flexibility being possible there given that it is obviously you can have shifts and timetables but there are certain services that seem to go more with the rhythm of perhaps the working day between light and darkness have you thought about that
0: i wrote a bit about this for my book around the conversation around working from home being very much centered around office work and a whole heap of people being forgotten about so I, yeah, I think that we need to kind of, I guess, include, be more inclusive in that conversation. And I think job sharing has been something that has been put forward as an opportunity and how
4: we um, get around that. It is, I mean, there is a tendency, a bias even, to think about this as something, because it's something a lot of professional workers care about. Bruce or, or Carl, what do you think about that?
3: I think it's difficult, isn't it? And it all goes back to the, why do we expect things to be open Monday to Friday, nine till five? And the answer is history, isn't it? Really, if we think about it in the same way of why do we send our children to school on a Monday and Friday between 8 and 3.30 or whatever it is. And it all comes back to per, per preparing us for the world of work, for, for mills ultimately in the Victorian Britain. And so I think this question is actually far bigger than just service workers. It's why do we try and fit everything on a Monday to Friday between those hours? And I guess I didn't even know who we posed this question to, perhaps the government, of why can't we have a a more flexible approach or where we have this job-sharing mentality where services are just open for us all the time?
4: Uh, Nick, so check, because you, you perhaps were advocating one of the more radical positions on this. I mean, one reason is that it's a tension within the sort of progress itself, isn't it? That someone has sent in a question saying, let me get it up, should schools and universities stick with a five day week? You know, if this is going to be, be a kind of source for the, the goose in the workplace, and what about for the, for the gander, for the, the children and for students? Is that feasible, or do you think that this is really something that is closer to world of work?
2: I mean, I think for universities, since I work at a university, it could definitely move to a four-day work week. I mean, the real issue, speaking at a central London university, is space. How do you fit all these people into central London? But a four-day work week is definitely possible. With younger children, I think it's a bit more difficult because I do think that sort of five days of education is quite crucial. Um, But again, it's it's historically contingent, the fact that we have a five-day system of education. And the reason it's five days is because... Parents were working five days, or particularly the father was working five days. So, you know, there's no necessity to having a five day system. And in fact, the way it's structured here in the UK is that, you know, getting off at 3 30, well, parents have to rush home early from work to try and be able to pick up their kids or pay for after school care and things like that. So it's actually not set up very well. And you can imagine extending the day, compressing it into four days, quite simply, I think. Got it. Right. So there's some
1: interesting trends happening right now. So, Leesman, uh, the Leesman Index, run this benchmarking set of data about offices. And they've observed that, firstly, the usage of offices is significantly down. It's down by about three quarters from what we used to have. But Fridays is down by by the, the most. I think Fridays are currently looking at about 19 to 20% of the demand that they used to have in, in the old days. Now, I've found a couple of organizations, nonprofits, who saw Big opportunities in this one organization said our job is to teach refugees how to code and so they'd said we found loads of office space that's empty on Fridays we're going to start using that space to sort of zig when the world zags um, so it's really interesting we are starting to spot the trends emerging trends where if we are going to observe that Friday has got a very different feel whether we work on Friday or don't work on Friday, it's got a different mojo to it. And if we start to see adaptations of that, it presents big opportunities to you know, those non-profits, those charities, who want to maybe take advantage along the way.
4: Quite a lot of questions coming in with pretty tough challenges to what we've been talking about. So here's a, a couple that I'll thread together and just just throw around the panel. No one's mentioned the link between pay and hard work. I work from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. in order to get paid a lot. This is Donald Cameron. This buys lots of things for me and my family, says <laughs> Donald. So uh, you yeah, know, working pretty hard there. And a, a, another question. We haven't got a name on it, but I think it's it's an interesting one to add to that. For 200. Years, the world has experienced remarkable growth while operating a five-day working week. Why fix what isn't broken? Isn't it economically risky?
3: I would argue it is broken. And you might be sat there thinking, well, 200 years, remarkable growth, you know, we're all still here. How many people do you know with mental health issues? How many people do you know who grew up with issues because they didn't spend time with their parents? You know, the list goes on. I think this has been broken for a long time. And I think the pandemic, I think people's attitude to mental health has changed. The ability to talk about it has changed. And again, to Bruce's point, I think pre-pandemic, I know certainly in technology, we were already kind of moving towards this time where most people would typically work at home on a Monday or a Friday. Most people would come in on a Thursday and go for a drink after work and be social. So this was already happening. I think the pandemic just pressed fast forward on it.
0: Elizabeth, what do you think? I pretty think? much agree. I think that mental health is only going to get... More pressing, and the the services that we are, rely on are only going to get more stretched. And it's you know a bit fanciful to say it doesn't. There is it isn't broken. It's clearly broken. So yeah.
4: Much yeah. Right. And what about that Keynes you mentioned earlier and that aspiration, um, Nick, to check to that uh, the the idea and the aspiration to a much shorter working week. It's also actually there in the pre-1917 Bolshevik writers. Though that might not be quite the model you're shooting for here. Yeah. But it, you know it's been around for a long time. But there is. Another view of it, and, and uh, I have a question emailed in. It says, numerous studies have shown that work gives us meaning and fulfillment. People who don't have to work are frequently miserable and lacking in direction and purpose. Why does Nick want to take that away from us? Well, I mean, I think in fairness, I don't think Nick's going to impose it, but, but you are advocating. Off you go.
2: No, I think, I think this is one of the best questions about the sort of vision I have, which is meaning You know, does come from work for a lot of people. But we have a society which is structured around that. If you're unemployed, you are vilified by the press and by every political party. You are unable to get basic things that you need for survival. You have to scrounge in order to be able to survive. If you're unemployed, to fill in numerous amounts of paperwork with a huge amount of surveillance. You are a lower class citizen if you're unemployed, and that's the way society is structured. So I don't think it's very surprising that people want to be employed, (laughs) precisely because being unemployed is so terrible in the society. Now, what's interesting is that if you look back, say, 100 years ago, people like sociologist Thorstein Veblen were talking about the leisure society, the leisure class. Mm. And what people aspired to do was not to work hard, but to be the part of the leisure class. The aristocracy was what you was wanted to be. And, you know, you would, you would never deign to be caught working. And today is completely flipped around. But this shows the history of how people find their identity. It's not intrinsically tied to, to work. Um, and we can have other ways of doing it.
4: i just going to try and fit in a uh, last couple of questions. And remember, of course, if you're enjoying this and you have any challenges or thoughts, uh, do tweet about the event using the hashtag IQ2, and you can still send in questions I'll get in as many as I can. And there's, a, there's one that's just popped up, which says, what about small business owners who need to work seven days a week to make their dream a reality? Wouldn't moving off five days a week prejudice those people? Who'd like to take that one?
2: Oh, gee, Nick, you continue well, in if, them, if they're working seven days, the five-day work week is already, you know, it's already a constraint on them. I, I, I think the issue for me is that the four-day working week sets a minimum, and then you can work overtime if you want. You can work extra on projects that you find passionate about. The key thing is that you have the choice. You're not forced to do a five-day working week.
4: Any other thoughts? I mean, I think probably the sense behind it is there are, being a small business owner... May mean that you 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 do have to trade away some flexibility because you just have to sort of satisfy your customers or find your niche, and there may just be more people. I'm looking meaningfully at uh, Bruce here because you, you know you started us off uh, tonight with quite strong advocacy of change, and I suppose the slight mood of that question was that's never going to work for me and people I know.
1: To, to sort of aggregate a, a couple of things from the last two questions, so the the person who I presume is in consulting or management or, or in in investment banking, who says they work 14 hours a day. There's really interesting evidence. Firstly, there was a report in The Economist a couple of years ago saying that the amount of time people work, a claim to work, has very limited correlation with the amount of time that they actually work. And in fact, the more you claim to work, the more inaccurate your, your estimate is. Elon Musk claims to work 130 hours a week. And you spend your time sort of totting up those numbers. And you'd say two things. Firstly, it doesn't seem to be doing him the world of good mentally. And uh, secondly, you start looking at that and you start wondering where are the hours in the day to, to well, work would, that I amount. mean, as a,
4: a fairness, um, BBC trained presenter, we would say he would say that's not the okay. case. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's fantastically driven. He's, you know, Gem- whatever people think, he, generally he, you know, when he's people been massively claim. successful.
1: Absolutely. But g- generally, when people claim, though, from the Economist data, to work 100 hours a week, generally the actual end up yes. figure is closer to about 45 hours a week. So I recognize that a lot of us feel like we, we need our taxi light on and we're working long hours the amount we actually do is often more and a distributed amount across a full day
4: okay neil diamond says if workers work fewer hours they must surely expect less pay unless they can demonstrate greater productivity or i suppose the same productivity would would be a fair ask as well most businesses will have to employ more staff elizabeth is that just something that that you recognize that there is a big ask of businesses that might not just be about changing culture which i know was your angle a bit earlier was well culture needs to change what about practicalities
0: well i haven't run a business before so um i'm Couldn't speak on that fully, but I do believe that businesses need to rise to this challenge. So I do think that there is going to be demand for more job sharing opportunities and people to work more flexibly and it's not going to be, you know, an overnight thing. So I think definitely it is a challenge, but I think this is the way that the world is going. So it has to be kind of like worked on.
4: If you're ambitious to succeed in your career, won't it always be advantageous to be in the office? I'll take that one if i going to take that one. Um, Doesn't in on you anyhow, anyway. yeah, I think there is a sense, isn't there, that there's, and we yeah. hear a lot about how yeah. we, uh, you know, is there a disadvantage? Uh, but, yeah. I think in certain
3: companies right now, there is, and it goes back to the conversation about how we manage people in a distributed, remote, flexible workforce. I think there is definitely some sort of uh, proximity bias going on in businesses, and I think there always has been, and that's why people did used to stay late in the office just to make sure that their boss saw them still at the desk as they left at six o'clock. I think we. Collectively, as, as leaders, need to demonstrate that that is no longer a measure of productivity or success. It's as simple as that. It needs to stop.
4: <laughs> Let's go for a final round. I think some of you have answered along the way a bit more about how you work yourselves but i would like just i just like to get an insight uh into that nick i mean you put out there the the two-day challenge there was a bit of a sort of grouping around and and some questions about the wednesday plus one model so everyone's in on a wednesday and then the other uh, days you can can choose does that sort of model actually work out for you the way that, that you work and, and what do you learned to, if you have changed the way that you work
2: well so I've got two young children, so that's changed the way I work fundamentally. The cost of childcare in the UK is so expensive that I can only afford it for four days. So I sort of necessarily have a four-day working week where my children are in at nursery. But I, you know, I do enjoy my work. So I, I work after they go to sleep. I work sometimes on the weekends. You know, I'm sure I put in more than forty hours and maybe more than fifty hours. But I'm, I'm one of the fortunate few that actually enjoys what I'm doing, and I happen to get paid for it. I think the real question is what the majority of the people in the world are doing is not something that they're necessarily passionate about. I and mean, that's the real question of a shorter working week is for them.
4: Elizabeth, you combine a number of roles. You're an author and uh, a newspaper columnist, also a brand strategist. Are you a blitzer or are you a it out over the weekend? Clock off at descent. Um, I'm driven by deadlines.
0: So whenever, and tend to be book, book deadlines. But I definitely think that just having more autonomy over the way I work and different projects have given me freedom and just general happiness. Do I get burnt out? Yeah, still. I'm not saying that, you know, life on the other side is any more, you know, free from those things. But I think that there's a real sense of purpose in how I work. And I think that means that when I do clock off or when I do, you know, fall asleep, I. I rejuvenate, it feels, I feel more excited about the work I have to do. So it doesn't get rid of the things that we've spoken about today, but I think it just gives me a real sense of purpose. And I think that that works for me, but it might not work for other people.
4: Carl Nicholson, in the Slack environment you're always on, how do you decide when you're going to switch it off?
3: I'm going to rattle through this really quickly because I think the way Slack operates is really interesting. To your point earlier, I think we are writing the manual, getting things wrong and trying stuff out. So I thought I'd share it because I think it's interesting for the audience. So although we have physical offices, we've taken everything online in this digital HQ approach of Slack. We do everything in our own platform. We quite literally eat our own dog food on a daily basis. Most employees, almost all of them, have the option to work remotely on a permanent basis if they choose to do so. I'm one of them. Slack's senior executive team, going to proximity bias, we were just talking about, are in the office no more than two days a week, and the rest of the time they work from home. The reason we do that one, proximity bias, but two, it demonstrates to the rest of the organization it's okay to work from home and you're not, you don't have to do presenteeism, it doesn't matter. We have something called Friday's, which I absolutely love, which is one Friday a month off. Uh, And that's predominantly to get over the burnout of Zoom calls. If you've ever sat on Zoom calls quite a lot, it's tiring, and the, the, the more people on the call, the more tiring it is. Not just Zoom, other platforms are available. And I think, uh, last but not least, we also have something called maker time, which is is kind of what you were hinting at earlier, although it is work, we are still paid, we do have to be there. And this is time to turn all of the, the meetings off, we have no scheduled stuff, and it's time to do whatever it is that you need to do. If that's sit in a coffee shop and think about something, if that's cracking on with a project, it doesn't really matter, but that's brain space where all the notifications stop for the day and allows you the freedom to do what you need to do
4: says he lost word from you you've worked in a, an organization you now seem to be you know have a bit more kind of freedom to choose how you work so how do you
1: I think what we haven't covered along the way is how bananas work. Is for most people that most people sit there thinking my work is intolerable and insane, and I'm kind. Of, they kind of think, am I the only person who thinks this? So they're sitting on twenty-four five hours of video calls a week. They're thinking, hang on, when am I meant to do the job here? So all these people are saying, who are saying on the the questions that you know. People, how are they gonna get their jobs done? Actually, if we address that, if we freed people from all these video calls, people could do their job in far more sustainable way. I like to have, back to your question, I like to try and have a bit of different energy to Friday. So I try and get most of my stuff done. I try and sort of have a bit of playtime Friday afternoon. But yeah, I try and, I think the way that, PwC announced last week, Friday, summer Fridays. And I don't think they'll be alone in trying to suggest that if they're going to demand a lot from people during the working week, Friday is going to get a little bit of different energy to it. And I'm trying to have a bit of that.
4: Listen, thank you very much indeed to all of our speakers for insights. Definitely some thought provoking ideas there. Let us know what you think about that on Twitter. I'm off for some downtime now. Thank you also to the audience, to Intelligence Squared, and to Slack. Good night.